Welcome to the Curious Podcast, where we are constantly in the process of getting to the bottom of shit. As you read from the title, this episode will be about a mythological being, beast, monster, or just a downright mystery. So a general definition of a mythical or legendary beast according to FolkloreThursday.com is quote, supernatural animal, generally a hybrid, sometimes part human, whose existence cannot be proven, described in legends, myths, fables, folklore, end quote. There is also a lot of emphasis on mythical beasts not being real in general, existing only in myths and imagination. Reading definitions definitely gave me a chuckle because a lot of results emphasise imagination, imaginary, i.e. hey, this stuff is in no way real, nor does it have any connection to real life in any way. Yet for hundreds of years, maybe longer, people passed down stories that filled fear in the hearts of many who hoped to never cross the path of a vampire. Possibly one of the most well-known and popular mythological beings, vampires have been the subject of many folklore tales and classic stories. Without a doubt, there has been a consistent and distinct description which instantly appears in your mind as soon as you hear the word vampire. See? Although descriptions bounce between grotesque-looking and hypnotisingly beautiful, the latter is somewhat due to the surge of movies and TV shows that have depicted vampires which we will get into a little later. The main characteristics of vampires is of course that they drink human blood which is what has scared the living shit out of people for centuries. They will drain their victim's blood using their trusty fangs and the victim later turns into a vampire themselves. Vampires are also known to have super strength and often have a hypnotic effect on their victims. As a whole, they have been cast aside today as merely a superstition, but like other mythical creatures we know of, I believe there is something of truth behind all the stories and legends as it has clearly fostered strong fear and curiosity up until this very day. This inherent fear has therefore cemented a place in society for the vampire to remain. Going back in time, vampire superstition thrived in the Middle Ages, especially as the plague destroyed entire towns. The disease often left behind bleeding mouth lesions on its victims, which to most was a sure sign of vampirism. A lot of plague victims were mistaken for being vampires due to these similarities, therefore giving credence to the existence of vampires. It was common for anyone with an unfamiliar physical or emotional illness to be labelled a vampire. An example of vampire hysteria is the story of Mercy Brown, the daughter of a farmer and a real person who lived in Rhode Island. After many of her family members, including herself, passed away in the late 1800s to tuberculosis, her father and their community blamed the deaths on Mercy. Back then, it was pretty normal to blame numerous deaths on beings such as vampires. They then started the process of digging up all the corpses to check if they had been decomposing naturally. When Mercy's body was exhumed and didn't display severe decay, it was a combination of biology and coincidence that Brown died during the winter in New England and was also buried in an above-ground vault, which actually helped to preserve her body for far longer than the average burial. 
However, the townspeople accused her of being a vampire and making her family sick from her icy grave. They then proceeded to cut her heart out, burn it, then fed the ashes to her sick brother. Unsurprisingly, he died shortly after consuming this. Well, yeah, of course he did, but in their own twisted way, they believed this would cure the boy's unknown illness. So as I'm sure you're realising, the hysteria surrounding vampires back then was quite similar to the hysteria surrounding witches during the dark days of witch trials. Many people that have been accused of being vampires were clearly just regular innocent human beings, but that doesn't mean that vampires do not exist. Only that the hysteria caused people in modern times to look back and chalk it up as superstition, same with witches. Looking a bit more into the possible origins of real-life vampires leads us to the famous stories of Vlad the Impaler, a ruler who led a reign of terror across Europe between the years of 1456 and 1462. While he has gone down in history as just being a ruler, according to History.com, he still had a reputation for brutality. He had a love for impaling people, and it was also rumoured that Vlad the Impaler would dip his bread into the blood of his enemies, but there's no solid confirmation of this. These gruesome acts also inspired author Bram Stoker's Dracula, which took place in Romania, where Vlad the Impaler was also from, and a castle which Vlad the Impaler would have been familiar with, Bran Castle. Therefore, Vlad the Impaler has become well known in vampiric history, through him the character of Dracula was born. In the UK, during the early 1970s, a buzz of panic spread around North London in the Highgate area. Allegedly, there was a vampire on the loose. Although Highgate Cemetery had long been a hotspot for ghostly sightings, the local and national media quickly ran with the story and began to sensationalise the creepy cemetery. The first sightings of the vampire came in the early 1960s, at the time of this media hysteria, the cemetery itself was over 100 years old and had been very neglected and forgotten. One night in 1963, a couple were walking home down Swains Lane, which passed along the cemetery's north gate. What they encountered was so terrible that they were frozen to the spot. They had come face to face with what would later be known as the Highgate Vampire, a tall, dark figure floating behind the railings. Its face ghoulish and contorted in horror. More sightings of it would then follow. A man walking his dog saw the same tall dark figure sliding over the wall along Swain's Lane. David Farron, a member of the British Occult Society, had first heard about the sightings in the late 60s and decided to investigate for himself. One winter's night in December 1969, Farron camped out in the graveyard. He witnessed a very tall, dark figure with piercing hypnotic eyes. The air around him had suddenly turned icy cold. This seemed to be the same entity he had heard about. The local newspaper in Highgate, the Hampstead and Highgate Express had become interested in the sightings. Though the sightings have dwindled since, every once in a while someone will report seeing a figure similar to the Highgate vampire. 
So even though there's still all this fear and terror surrounding vampires in actual real life, interestingly, in the 20th century, vampires began to turn from being depicted as predominantly animalistic creatures and instead displayed a broader range of relatable characteristics. What started out as a monster living in a castle now turned into an immortal young adult love story. The very evil which once surrounded these legends turned vampires into a modern day misunderstood hero. Looking back, the evolution of many mythical creatures has been romanticised, but vampires are one of the most obvious examples. In many tales, vampires are portrayed as promiscuous with a large sexual appetite. In 1991, Laurie Herter published Obsession, one of the first vampire novels to be categorised as romance rather than science fiction, fantasy or horror. In 1997, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was aired on TV, a television show which was about a main character that had a romance with a vampire. The show aired from 1997 to 2003 and was very popular. I definitely remember watching it when I was way too young and had no business in doing so. Vampire romances also appeared in one of the best HBO television series, True Blood, based on Charlene Harris's Suki Stackhouse book series. True Blood definitely glamorises being a vampire, as most of them are quite seductive and have amazing strength and power. The funny thing about the show is when a regular human was killed and turned into a vampire, they suddenly looked way better. They just looked so much more attractive. I don't know what it was about them, but they would rise from their grave looking like a bad bitch. It almost made you want to be a vampire yourself. I recommend everyone to watch True Blood to see the programming yourselves though. Vampire romance for teens also gained popularity at the end of the 20th century and beginning of the 21st, with books such as The Vampire Diaries and The Twilight Saga which I fondly remember. The Twilight Saga has a high school romance and vampires that sparkle in the sun rather than bursting into flames and this became a cultural sensation. It was very popular and the movies did very, very well too. I mean, I remember this whole Twilight Saga. I was a teenager, unfortunately cringe, but I did read the books and I went to go see the films with friends or sometimes a couple of my cousins. And yeah, it was marketed to mainly teenage girls. We, we all know that. And to think that they made a movie about a werewolf and a vampire fighting for a regular, very boring character's love, millions and millions of teenagers around the world pick which guy they wanted. And it was like, it was like team werewolf or team vampire. And now I look back on it, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, they really made teenage girls lust over characters that were basically not human beings. And it might sound small, but it's actually quite weird when you think about it. It was essentially conditioning these young girls to think that these non-human beings, such as werewolves and vampires, were attractive and were cool and, oh my god, I want to date them. I didn't like any of them because I thought both of them were unattractive to me visually but I was still caught up in the whole programming because I read all the books and I went to see the films and I somehow found it interesting and it did make me think vampires were cool. Just a little bit, I'm gonna admit it. This also showed a vampire trend for years to come. Hollywood has done a very good job popularising vampires and making them appear very attractive and mysterious. 
This in turn has created subcultures and people actually wanting to live like vampires. All these vampire shows and movies have portrayed humans to be weak and unaware, even sympathising with vampires as beings that have no choice but to drink the very tasty human blood. Now that I look back on the years and years on vampire entertainment, I can say that some of the messages include hating being human and loving what isn't human. So for years and years, there have been all these interesting subcultures of people basically pretending to be vampires or saying they are vampires, saying they need blood to live and just shunning themselves from normal human life. And I do believe some of these people grew up watching a lot of this vampire entertainment and a lot of the programming that was pushed on many young and impressionable minds to believe that vampires are so cool and so amazing but some people took it a bit too far and took it seriously. One of those examples are the Sanguine Vampire Society. They are a group of people that drink blood because they feel energised and nourished from consuming the liquid. They enjoy drinking human blood and are a recognised and established group that have many members around the world. Sanguines are vampires and obtain their blood from donors and friends. Usually they do so by slicing with a razor scalpel or other device included in the design of various jewellery pieces. Blood pumps and needles are also used but biting is seldom encouraged by sanguines. Most often these arrangements are consensual but very dangerous. Such practices can lead to infections and transmitted illnesses of the blood. There are many things just as bad as AIDS which can be carried in the blood of an infected person. Illnesses that lay dormant then strike a few months or years from now and yet these people still want to drink other people's blood and I'm pretty sure it's definitely a mental illness, it's something that they need to see a psychologist or therapy for but people are just letting other people drink blood and letting them identify themselves as a group and this is why the world is going to end because we keep letting people be insane and labelling it as normal behaviour when it's not. These people should not be drinking blood, why? On the Sanguine website, they even encourage the safe way to basically drink people's blood. I don't think you should even advise people. I'm sorry, but I know that sometimes it's not good to tell somebody no, but sometimes you do have to say that, especially when it's about drinking other people's blood. I know that there's people out there apparently that feel like they have to drink blood to survive, but I honestly don't believe that. I think it's just something mental that needs to be corrected there. But let me just continue to let you know what these um, sanguine community websites encourage. So they say, quote, go with that person so you can be sure it is their actual blood and urine samples that are given to the lab. If you are going to use a razor or needle, be sure it is sterilized with alcohol and heat before and after every usage. Use disposable needles, do not share, use needles and do not use a razor that is not completely cleaned of blood each and every time. But the best way to stay safe is to keep away, don't even begin, end quote. So I agree that you don't even begin, but I just don't like how they still encourage you to use a clean razor, but I'm sure that there's people that are still going to do it, so they have to advise some of these people on the safest way to not get diseases and infections. It's just interesting that a lot of social engineering has been done on people to the point where some humans believe that they're actual vampires and are willing to drink another human being's blood. That is disgusting. So how about you? Do you believe vampires exist or do you think it's just mythology? Thanks for listening guys, I really appreciate it. If you're into the strange, morbid or curious, I'll see you in the next episode.
Stay safe, stay curious, Thoreau.